We are continuing in the Beatitudes, and we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now remember the context, I I tell people this when I preach, that uh, if you're a believer, Jesus Christ lives in you. And so I'm not trusting that I'm going to be a really, really good entertainer this morning. But what I am trusting is that God through me will speak to you. The Spirit of Christ living in you. If you're an unbeliever, my invitation to you today is just to listen and see what God says to you and to your heart. And then I'm going to invite you uh, to give your life to Christ today if you don't know the Lord. I would love to see you have, begin to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, it would be wonderful to see that happen. But uh, today I want to talk a little bit about this ideal of mercy. And remember this, that for those of us who know Christ... There's, two, there's two, one way that we can live. We can live focused on our problems and our difficulties and everything that consumes us, and we're undone. But if we focus on Christ who lives in us by the Spirit, and the more we focus on Christ, the things that we have been focused on don't undo us. And not only that, Jesus becomes our focus, and there's a peace in Christ that we can have. Because your focus, whatever you focus on, will get you. It, it captures you. Would you agree with that? Laser focus, whatever you focus on, I will promise you this, that's what you will become. And if your life is abiding in Christ, then Jesus is your focus, moment by moment. It's an amazing thing. As these things come, it builds your faith. And God works through those things. Instead of those things overcoming you, those things are used by God. See, he doesn't resist those things, he uses them. And he uses them for us to walk in an abiding life. It's a very simple life. It's an easy life, really. It's not complicated. And it's something that's for you today, not, uh, not a year from now. So let's get into this message. Uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, last week, I thought Dave was just going to preach the whole thing. I mean, he had the graph up there. Do you remember, for those who are there, man, he had on both of them on both sides. I said, okay, what am I preaching about next week? I had no idea what I was going to preach, but he didn't cover it all, but he did outline it. It was very good, and his point is those first four are about Godward, and the other four are about relationship with man, and I agree with that. And as we get into these next four, it's really about our, not only our relationship with God, because that's always important, but about our relationship with other people, and we're going to be looking at that. When I was in high school, <clears throat> I went to a uh, private school called Eastwood High School. It was, a, it was my church started it, and there's probably five or 600 kids and my sophomore, junior, and senior year, I was there. My senior year, I owned a Malibu, 73 Malibu two-tone. It was white with a blue uh, paint job. It had a vinyl white top on, top on it. And I mean, it had some of these uh, really nice speakers that a guy had just put into it when I bought it. And so I was really proud of this car. But I, I developed a problem. The problem was that I would end up late to, uh, to class, especially first hour. Because I was driving about 20 miles to, uh, to, to school. And for those of you who know me, I always stop by the donut shop. I'd, I'd grab a dozen donuts and I'd eat those on the way in. <laughs> that, that actually happened. And I had about 80 to 100 donuts a week. Now, I was thin as a rail, and I could do that. I was playing all these sports. And so one day, I was coming in, and I was always about 30 seconds late. I always made my, my entrance. You know what I'm talking about? I always made my entrance. And our assistant principal, his name was Ron, he saw uh, me do that. And I think he just got tired of it. And so I go sit down. He comes into the school. He grabs me and says, Cook, you need to come with me. So I go downstairs. Now, understand, this is a Christian school, okay? So remember the context. And I go downstairs with him. And I say, where are we going? He said, we're going to, the, we're going to Jack O'Jala's office. 
Now, you have to understand, Jack Ojala was about 5'10". He used to be a fullback in college. And I mean, he had never had an ounce of fat in his life. He was, he was like a big muscle. He was as muscular at 40 as he was when he was 20. And the last thing you wanted to do was to go to Jack Ojala's office. You did not want to go to Jack Ojala's office. And I said, well, is there any way we can work this out? You know. <laughs> and Ron goes, nope, we're about to work it out. It's about to get worked out. <clears throat> And I mean, I, I pulled everything in the book. You know, everything, I pulled it all out. And I got down there, and there's this guy by the name of Rod Goodsell. And you had to understand Rod Goodsell. Rod Goodsell did love the Lord. He was a big, tall guy. He's probably 6'5 and about 290 pounds. And he was the superintendent of the school, the high school, the junior high, and the elementary. And Rod just, I mean, Rod, he just loved Jesus. You know, and he, he just was constantly talking about Jesus. And what he didn't understand is I was in a life-threatening situation. When I got down there, I was going to Jack's office. So as I come down, Rod's uh, office was around the corner from his. And I come in there, and he sits me down in Jack's office. Jack's on the phone at the time. And Ron is sitting next to me. And Rod comes down the corner. He sees me there. And he comes over and says, Scott, how are you doing? And I'm looking at him and go, man, what do you mean how am I doing? I'm in, Rod, I'm in Jack's office. What do you think I'm doing? And he goes, Scott, do you love Jesus? <laughs> Brother, do you love Jesus this morning? And my brother's here. He can give testimony. This is Rod Goodsell. And so I look at him and go, right now? Do I love Jesus right now? I want to get out of Jack O'Jayla's office is what I want to do. But something came to me when he said that. And then he walks out of the office. Jack hangs the phone up and goes, okay, Scott, what are you doing here? And Ron tells him all of my crimes and everything that I've done. Scott's been late to class. That's not just once. It's happened many times. And I decided that uh, Cook was not going to be on his own schedule. He was going to be on our schedule. And so as I sit there, I remembered something that, and as Rod had just said, he said, hey, do you love Jesus? And uh, Jack says, well, Scott, are you guilty of the crime? And I said, well, yeah, I did that. And then I began reasons for why I would not do it again. And how I would not, and how that would never happen. And I drive 20 minutes and everything, and all these reasons. And Jack goes, Scott, those are all excuses. Everybody has one and they all stink. He said, let's deal with this. And so he gets on the phone and he calls my dad. And uh, because you have to understand, my dad, we went to the same church and they knew each other. And he calls my dad and I guess he wanted to talk with dad just to make sure dad knew that I was about to have some pain come to my life. <laughs> and he gets on the phone. You understand my dad, my dad used corporal punishment. He had no problem with capital, you know, I call it capital punishment, but it was what it felt like. <laughs> and so he gets on the phone and says, uh, Carl, this is Jack O'Jayla. My dad says, hi, Jack, how are you doing? He says, well, I'm doing pretty good, but we have a situation, Carl. He said, well, what is it? He said, I got Scott here in my office. And he has decided that he would be on his own schedule rather than our schedule, and we are trying to correct that. Are you okay if we work on that today? <laughs> and my dad, I hear my dad laughing. <laughs> now, as God is my witness, it happened. And I, I go, I can't believe this. I thought my dad would tell him, well, no, I'll take care of it when he gets home, which is not what you want. And he says, well, Jack, yes, I, I would think that you would want to take care of that. And uh, by the way, Scott, when you get home, we'll deal with it then as well. <laughs> and so he said, well, thank you, Carl. Have a good day. And he hangs up. And he turns around and he says, well, Scott, you know what you did wrong. We've talked to your dad. Now it's time to deal with it. And I said, I said, uh, Mr. O'Jay, there's just one thing. And he said, what? And I said, Jesus forgives me. And that's all I had. I just had Jesus. I didn't have anything else, man. And I know I didn't have any padding back here. That was all I had. 
And Jack smiles and he sits down. He's in this big roller chair that he had and he looks at me and he gets that big grin if you knew Jack O'Jala. And he said, well, Scott, you're right. Jesus does forgive you. But I'm not Jesus. <laughs> Stand up, bend down, and touch your ankles. <laughs> oh, man. He had this paddle. It was about like that. And it had holes drilled into it. And I mean, I think he lifted me off the ground. I think he actually got me off the ground with that paddle. And he hit me three times. And when he was done, he shook my hand. He was an ex-Marine as well, as I remember. He shook my hand and said, that's better, isn't it? It's, it's just going to be better, isn't it? I said, yeah, it's going to be a lot better, yeah. I won't be there on time. Now, the reason I tell you that story, besides the fact that <clears throat> I do think about it from time to time, I don't know what's happened to Jackal Jayla. He's getting his reward, whatever that is. Uh, but, you know, one thing I did learn there is one, I didn't receive any mercy. <laughs> I didn't receive any mercy, and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. I don't know. But at that moment, I didn't really receive the mercy I was hoping I would receive. But what I realized is, is that with Jesus Christ, that God through Christ has given me all the mercy I need. He's given me all the mercy I need, and I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. I mean, is it, do any of us really deserve the grace of God? Do any of us deserve the mercy of God? No. But he's given us mercy. And Jesus, and again, remember what we're talking about. When we're talking about the Beatitudes, especially the first, you know, chapter 5, 6, and 7. We're not talking about something that you go out and work to do. We're talking about the life of Jesus in you, where you've exchanged your life for his, and he is working through you by faith, moment by moment. He's the only one who's ever lived that life. And the more we strive to try and live it, the less we do. But the more we rest in Christ by faith, and we say, God, I let you work it through me, he does it. And the question is, is will I let him do that? Or am I going to continue to strive to do it? And so when he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, what he is saying is, this is the characteristic of the Holy Spirit in you, and this is what it'll look like, and this is what it'll do. So as we look at that, let's break that verse down for just a second. He says, blessed or happy <clears throat> to be envied, spiritually prosperous. Matter of fact, Kenneth Woost, theologian of the last century, said this. He, he, he quoted it this way. Spiritually prosperous are those who are merciful because they themselves shall be the object of mercy. Spiritually prosperous are those who are merciful. Merciful has the idea of full of pity. It's merciful, compassionate. This is a characteristic of the Spirit in you, of Christ in you. It's living his life through you. The word there, uh, oti in the Greek, is really not, shouldn't be translated for. It should be translated because or since. So the ideal there of because they're merciful, they receive mercy. Mercy itself is I pity. I have mercy on another individual. The last part there says, blessed are the merciful, the noun, for they shall receive mercy, the verb. Because mercy is an action. The verb there is future, passive, indicative. It's in the future. It's something you receive. It's not something you go out and try to get. And it's an indic indicative. It's a fact. It's something that is given to you because of what's working in you and working through you. This is something they will receive through Christ. <clears throat> James 2.13 says this, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There's three things I want you to see today. The first is that we have to receive something before we're merciful. And that something is Jesus Christ and his life. 
The second is how it works itself out. One is that we no longer have to condemn ourselves and therefore condemn another person. And then thirdly, because we've been forgiven, God frees us to forgive. He frees us to forgive. Let's take a look at that. An indication of God's mercy is seen in the construction of the Ark of the Testimony that sat in the Holy of Holies. The lid or the top of the Ark was called the mercy seat. Remember that? And from the mercy seat, God would talk with Moses. And so from God, the point where God says, this is my presence, was the mercy seat. And there Moses would converse with God. God's desire and character is mercy. That's where he dwells. He's a merciful God. We see our great need in David's cry for mercy after his sin with Bathsheba in Psalms 51.1. It says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He had sinned with Bathsheba, and the first thing he says is, Hey, I need mercy. Have mercy on me. Abundant mercy, not just a little bit. Have you ever had that feeling at times? You're like, God, be merciful to me. Especially when I've done this for the thousandth time. Have mercy on me. God showed mercy to us through Christ in the new covenant and his blood at Calvary. There he won the victory over sin and death. The ultimate place of mercy was Calvary at the cross where Jesus died and his blood was shed for you and me. And the power of that blood covers all your sin, past, present, and future, and now you are positioned in Christ. And because of that blood, God never deals with you based on your performance. He has shown you mercy through Jesus. And the first life point I want to show you is this, is that we live in the reality that God has shown us great mercy in Christ. We live in that reality, or at least we should, that God has shown us great mercy in Christ. Romans 5, 8, 9 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath or the anger of God. Because of the blood of Jesus, God's wrath has been dealt with. He's shown us mercy that we then can come to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 4, and 7 says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, God has shown his mercy. He's rich in mercy. That's his desire. And here's the thing. His life lives in you, and that life is rich in mercy to live through you to other people. Because he's shown us mercy... We can be merciful. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The ultimate mercy of God is that he has made us the righteousness of God. We have received mercy by the blood of Jesus at the cross, and we are now forgiven completely because of that. However, Christ must live his life through us But we must take a step of faith to receive that life. I want you to see a graphic up here, if we can go to that. See this graphic? You see, by faith, we've received Christ. But how did we receive that mercy? We received it in Christ when he went to the cross. By the blood of Jesus. You see, the anger of God should have been on you and me, right? But who was it on? It was on Jesus. And so that blood that covers us allows for the forgiveness of our sins. And now a relationship with God through Christ. 
And that's the ultimate way that we see that, that mercy. And how do we receive it? By faith. The same way we live, moment by moment. By faith. The person who is merciful is living by faith. Why? Because of everything that God has done for them. And they're putting their trust in Jesus and not their own effort. Who are they looking to? Jesus. So the natural response of that life in them is Jesus and Jesus is merciful. And I could take you through a study of the New Testament time after time after time where Jesus was constantly merciful to his disciples, to those who were sick, to those who didn't know him, and ultimately at the cross. And we'll see that uh, a little more. So the first thing I want you to understand is we live in the reality that God has shown his great mercy in Christ. We're forgiven and now we live by faith. The second thing is that we are free from judging and condemning. We're free from judging and condemning. Those who condemn themselves will eventually point the finger at others and condemn. And most of the time what I have found, and this has been true in my own life, this is probably one of the things that God has done and continues to do in my life is to free me from being a judgmental, condemning, and critical individual. I mean, listen, I have everyone in here outpaced when it comes to that. You know, I'm, I'm like Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. And God's had to deal with me in this area. But here's what I realized is I couldn't do it. He had to do it. And when I realized that I no longer was willing to perform for God, but rather I was positioned in Christ, because I'm positioned in Christ, his life lives in me by the Spirit, and his life will live through me if I let him. And I am free not only not to condemn myself, but I'm free not to condemn others. If we receive and accept messages of condemnation, we eventually condemn others. Where do those messages come from? Well, several areas. One, how we grew up. What were the messages we received from our parents? Many of you went to my mother's funeral not too long ago. Uh, I love my mother very much. She was a believer. She loved the Lord. Uh, but she was also a person who could be filled with fear, who could be filled with worry and anxiety. And I found myself doing that because that was the messages I received. And so God's had to work in that in my life so that I would look to Christ and not myself. Satan is also the accuser of the brethren. Revelations 12.10 says this, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying this, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. So who's, who's the one that's accusing you day and night? Satan. Who do you think is the one in your head accusing you? The devil. Is Jesus accusing you? No, we just showed you the blood. There's no reason to accuse you. You do not stand accused. You are in Christ. So who is doing the accusation? Listen, have you ever woke up, up in the morning and the first thing you hear is accusation? Yeah, you can raise your hand. Go ahead if you'd like. Yeah, there we go. Okay, we're all in the same bucket. Where is that coming from? He is using the messages you grew up with or that you have encountered in your marriage, or in your family, from your past, and he is accusing you based on a lie. And the lie is, you have to perform to get God's acceptance. Where God says, no, you are already accepted, you are holy, you are righteous, therefore you're forgiven, and you can live in that forgiven state, and as you, as you fall, you will come to me, we make that right, and we move on. But you live in a forgiven, holy, righteous state. And Satan wants you to believe a lie. And so he's constantly, he's constantly accusing and condemning and judging. And if I receive those messages, as most likely I did most of my life, rather than living in the truth, what happens is I judge myself. And as I judge myself, what do I do to other people? I point the finger at them. And that's what I've done. 
I point the finger at them. And so what God wants is for us to realize, I don't judge myself any longer. I don't condemn myself any longer because I'm free in Christ. Therefore, I'm free not to judge another person. I no longer have to judge other people. Romans 8.1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've been in my Hebrews class, I, I use that a lot. Because it's true. There is therefore now what? A little bit of condemnation? A tiny bit? How much? None. None. The word there is not at all. No condemnation. No judgment. Man, pray. is that fantastic or what? You are free. Amen? amen? Okay, there we go. All right, here we go. The elders voted and you can say amen. They, I think they voted the other day and said you can say amen. That's all right. Go ahead. Isn't that right, Kevin? Okay, all right. Here we go. All that means is I agree. You're free not to judge yourself and you're also free not to judge another person. Now, someone says, well, what about when you, you know, sin? Well, what about sin? Who deals with that? The Holy Spirit deals with that through conviction. And when he does, you simply get back in alignment with God and say, that's sin. I can't repent of it on my own ability. I simply come to you, Jesus. I could never do it. You never said I could. You can do it. And you've always said you would. And I'm trusting that you're going to do it in me. Amen? And so you are already accepted as a son or daughter. You know, no matter how bad I was, when my mother called us for dinner, I was the only one who got to come to dinner even if the other kids weren't good. Why is that? I'm her child. Now, she didn't call me to dinner and all the other kids were there and she says, time out, wait, Scott, how good were you compared to your friends today? And I say, and their friends are like, hey man, you don't know how bad he really is. And they're just condemning me. And she says, you know what, Scott? You stay out here. You get to come and have the roast beef and potatoes and, and the bread. Come on in. Is that what she did? No. She says, come on in, Scott. And oh, by the way, we will deal with that other. However... You get to sit at my table. Why? Because I'm her kid. I'm her child. You're God's child. You're positioned in Him in Christ. He doesn't judge you. He doesn't condemn you. He, as a father, disciplines you. Now, if you grew up and you didn't understand what a father model ought to be like, go tell God, I want you to be my father, but i got to tell you, I didn't have much of a father. Matter of fact, I didn't have any father. That's okay. He lives with honest people. And he'll, he'll work with you in that by grace. It's okay where you're at. But realize God loves you. He's your father. And he doesn't condemn you. And that frees you not to condemn another person. Therefore, it says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his condemnation from God. In other words, we don't know everything. Wait until the time. Wait until the time. And when there's correction that needs to be done in the body of Christ, we can do that. It's always first looking to ourselves. Where have we fallen? And then in gentleness and in love and in a genuine spirit of restoration. Never condemnation. Listen, that person already knows that they're usually more condemning of themselves than anything else. They don't need another heap of condemnation on top of it. What they need is that love, the grace. And that's what a merciful person does when Christ is living his life through them. Second life point is this. We are free not to judge or condemn because we are not judged or condemned in Christ. Do you really believe you're no longer condemned in Christ? Do you? 
Do you really believe that? I challenge you to take the first four verses of Romans and every morning when you get up, just to read those verses for 90 days. Take you, take you a minute. Have that Bible, open it up. This is what I've done. And I read it until I believed it. Because your flesh is going to resist that because of the messages you've received. It simply isn't going to sit there and go, oh, isn't that great? No, God's got to crucify the flesh so that his spirit can work in you so you believe it. So keep looking to what God says. You know, when we look at people and we judge them, if we think we know nine things, aren't there ten? If we think we know six things, aren't there seven? Isn't that true? I had a loved one that I, I, would, I really judged. And then I began to live in that person's home. And I thought I knew, I thought I knew everything. I knew nine things, but there were actually ten. And I began to realize that my judgment was incorrect. And I began to have to, to talk to God about it. And God began to show me, hey, listen, you're not judged. Why are you judging that person? What good is it doing? In every situation, there is something we don't know. Be it at work, at home, there's something we don't know. There's a place for wise discernment. I'm not saying that. But that should lead us to intercede for others, to pray, not to condemn them. And that comes as we walk in the Spirit, through the life of Jesus. He will lead us to pray. Because if he's giving you that discernment, he wants you to pray for them. He wants to open their eyes to what the issue may be. In that wise discernment. What does that mean? We take a step of faith and choose not to condemn, to judge. Once we take that step of faith and realize all that Christ has done for us through his blood, his very life becomes our life and he becomes our mercy. And instead of trying to work at that, God does it through us. And he also puts the death, judgment, and condemnation because of his blood. Well, I want to show you the next one. Because this is now our relationship with people, right? And we have been forgiven by his blood. And because of that, we no longer have judgment or condemnation towards others. We don't have to judge or condemn others. Why? Because of the cross. I love that. The cross deals with our relationship with God. And it deals with our relationship with people. And we're free. here's the thing, you're free not to judge or condemn. I love that. Not that you don't have to, you're free not to do it. And there is such freedom, rather than judging that person, let God work and intercede through you for that person. And only his life can do it. Listen, on the way over here, on the way over here this morning, I was judging other drivers. My wife is a witness. And the Holy Spirit said, and you're going to speak on what today? Why? Because that, I was living out of self. I wasn't living by his life. And I just very quickly said, Father, forgive me. The hypocrite that I am in my self-love. You don't know how bad Scott Cook really is in the flesh. Let me boast in my weakness. It's Christ in his life. That's what matters. Well, the last thing I want to talk, well, before we do that, very quickly, you've probably heard this story, but I like it. Remember the dog named Beth Gallen that was given to a, uh, a Welsh prince named Llewellyn by the king? And he loved this dog, Beth Gallen. Beth Gallen loved Llewellyn. 
And Llewellyn had a, a baby boy. His wife had a baby boy. And that boy grew up. And about the time that boy was five years old, and remember, Beth Gallen and the prince, I mean, they did everything together. But as Beth Gallen, or as the little boy was growing up, Beth Gallen was wanting the prince's attention. But he was giving it more and more to the little boy, to his son. And one day, the prince was looking for his son, and he couldn't find him. And he went up to his room, and as he came into the room, to the horror of his eyes, he saw blood all over the sheets and blood on the wall. And as he looked around in the corner of the room, he knew what had happened. Beth Gallon had always been jealous of the boy. He knew it. And he knew what he had to do. And Beth Gallon was in the corner of the room, looking at the door, looking at the prince. And he took Beth Gallon, he took his sword, and he went out and he slew Beth Gallon. And no more than 10 seconds after he slew Beth Gallon, he heard something under the bed. And out from underneath the bed came the little boy. And he went up and he rushed and he grabbed the little boy. But as he did, he looked on the other side of the bed and there was a wolf. Dead. You see, Beth Gallon had protected the boy and had killed the wolf. And the prince had killed Beth Gallon. Isn't that what we do to those we love? When we judge. When we condemn. And here's the thing. We normally have condemned ourselves first. And that what do we do to ourselves? God wants us to live in freedom. And that freedom is in his life. And we're free not to judge. We're free not to. Well, the last thing we're going to talk to you about is this ideal forgiveness. It's a wonderful thing. And I think Jesus does it better than anybody else. Out of Matthew 18, if you have your Bible, you can turn to that or I have the words up on the screen. But I want to read the entire story real quickly. And I just have a couple of points I want to make. Out of Matthew 18, 21 through 35. 18, 21 through 35. <clears throat> then Peter came up <clears throat> and said to him, Lord... How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant came, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 
Now, here's the understanding that I have of that. And Jesus is using this parable to help us understand a little bit about ourselves, but also about the way we handle offenses. Now, Jesus says offenses is needful and offenses will come. It's going to happen in this life. It may have happened to you today. It's how we respond to offenses that matters. Ultimately, that's what matters. We forgive because of what God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. That is the biggest reason we forgive. And that forgiveness has to come from and through his life by faith. Forgiveness is really for the one who forgives more than the one who offends. Do you realize that when, we, when you forgive or I forgive, you know the one who really benefits from it is you, me. We're the ones who benefit from it. Research has shown that a person with a bitter and unforgiving spirit can actually have all types of diseases that develop in their body. Because it, it puts stress on the body that it was never intended to handle. It literally can break down the body over time when we don't forgive. And here's the thing. You can't do it in your flesh, neither can I. I mean, we can try, but we don't really forgive. I was at a bank the other, no, it was probably three years ago, but I had a boss in 1992 who, who fired me uh, because, one, as far as I can tell, she didn't like me. And, and two, that was at a time in my life when I was really uh, living for the Lord. And I had a tracks on my desk and a little Bible in my cadenza, and, and she didn't like that either. And so she fired me. And if you knew her, her name was Randy Galo. And if you knew her voice, Randy, are you here today? No, okay. Uh, if you knew her voice, boy, it was very unique. I mean, you just know this voice. Well, I was sitting at the bank. I was going to make a deposit. And all of a sudden, 20 years came up to me and hit me in the face because I heard that voice. And she was at the front of the line complaining. And that's what she did. It's no good. She complained. And so when I heard that, all of a sudden, <laughs> I mean, I became that guy 20 years ago. And I was looking for a way to, get, how can I get out of the line? And I actually did this so she wouldn't see me. I mean, it was ridiculous. And finally, she goes and she leaves. And when she leaves, the Spirit of God says, so you forgave her? Is that the case? And I thought I had. And man, when I went back to my car, I really was under conviction. <laughs> and I said, Father, forgive, I forgive her as best I know how. But I'll tell you what, there's obviously something going on inside my soul. And I'm struggling to do that. So you're going to have to be the one. You're going to have to be my forgiveness. I can't do it. And do you know when I asked him to be my forgiveness, he did. And he did it. And that's how forgiveness works. It's his life. And it's wonderful. It's a wonderful way to live. It's a wonderful way to see God working. What did Jesus cry out on the cross? Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think God was like, and this is just my own, you don't have to agree with this, okay? But I think God was up to here with everybody. And his son was on the cross, and he was almost like, enough is enough. They're wiped. And Jesus looks up to the Father and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who else does that remind you of? Reminds you of Moses, who was a type of Christ, Remember? They came down, you know, the Lord says, listen, Moses, stand over over here. I am going to wipe these folks out. And what does Moses say? Oh, no, don't do that. Forgive them. Well, the next life point I want you to see is this. We are merciful because we have been forgiven and are empowered to forgive by the life of Jesus. His life in us allows us to forgive. Now, I want to walk you through a little something. And uh, let's go ahead and put that up. I know that's not really good. I, I would love it if I could, I love to do diagrams. And so if I had something up here, I could just do diagrams. I'd already done 10 of them if I could. But remember that guy on the right? Where's that from from? 
Yeah, I just did a trademark violation. I apologize for that. Go to jail, Monopoly, right? And this little thing over here is a prison of our emotions. And you know what happens when we're offended? If we don't forgive fairly soon, it enters into our emotional makeup. It's in our thinking, but it's really in our emotions. And we tend to make decisions based on how we feel. Not, we rationalize it, but we tend to do it in our feelings. And so what happens, people offend and we put them in the prison of our emotions. We send them to jail. That's what the story, remember the guy in the story? He was forgiven a thousand talents. You know how much a thousand talents was? That is a hundred years wages. So in our lifetime, that's like 10, 15 million dollars. Maybe more, depends on what you do for a living. And the Nerei, that's, you know, that's like a day's wages. So this guy owed him a quarter. He owed the king a hundred years wages. The king had forgiven him, but he was choking this guy and he put him in prison for the quarter that he owed. Let's go to the next uh, slide. And here's what we do. We not only put them in jail, then we write a debt. They owe us. So now they're in the prison of my emotion and I've written out a debt that they owe me. So they owe me, they got to pay off the debt. Well, can I ask you, how can they pay off a debt if you're in jail? How do I pay off a debt if I'm in jail? It's impossible. The whole thing is ridiculous. But that's where they'll stay, is right there in the prison of my emotions. I've sent them to jail, and I've written the debt. They owe me. And I keep them there. And every time they come, that offense can grow, and it can grow, and it can grow. And you know what it does? It actually causes us to be captives. We are prisoners. When I don't forgive, I'm the prisoner. Because do they normally know that I have that against them, most of them? No, they don't even know it. They're living life. I'm the prisoner. And Jesus uses this illustration to say, listen, forgive as you've been forgiven. And you can't do it in your own strength. It has to be his life. So go to the next, the next slide. How do we do that? I say, Jesus, here's the keys. I just need a, re- you know what most of us need? We just need a really good jailbreak. We just need a good jailbreak. Just to let everybody out. We give the keys to Jesus and we say, I can't do it. I cannot do it. I give it to you. However, I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to say these words, they're forgiven. I forgive. And let me tell you, maybe the most painful thing you've ever done. I forgive. That's faith in action. And then you do that by faith and then you cancel the debt. They don't owe me anything. You, you let them out of jail and you cancel the debt. But it's not you doing it, it's Christ in you doing it. He's, his life has to be the one who does that. And that's the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The person who does that is the one who receives mercy. Mercy to do these things. Mercy to let people out. Mercy not to condemn. Mercy to live in his life. Isn't that wonderful? It's his life in you doing it. And you know the most free person is the person who doesn't have anybody in that prison? Remember the Lord's Prayer? He says, forgive us our debts as what? We forgive those who've done what? Trespassed against us. Those two, by the way, have a conjunction there. They are tied together. They are not individually. They're not mutually exclusive. They're together. And Jesus at the end of this says, so shall my Father do if you do not forgive from your heart the depth of who you are in your soul. Now, I don't know fully what that means, but I don't want to find out. I think it has to do with the prison we put ourselves in when we don't forgive. 
Now, let's go to this last slide. So here is the cross. The blood of Jesus has given us mercy. We've received those, that forgiveness of sins by faith and the forgiveness of our sins so that we no longer live in judgment or condemnation, but not, no longer in condemnation towards others, and we're free to forgive others. That's the practical life of Christ in you. When I have counseled people, most of what I have found, almost inevitably, I found this in myself as well, is there are two things. One, they lived in condemnation, and two, there was someone they were unwilling to forgive. And because of that, the life of Jesus is bottled up. And their flesh has them defeated. Can I ask you a question? Is there someone here today that you say, you know what? I, I live in condemnation of myself and I, I condemn others. There's someone I haven't forgiven. You don't have to live in that prison anymore. Jesus died for you to live free. In the new covenant. Free of condemnation. You say, Cook, you don't know what they did to me. I don't, but you don't know what people have done to me either. Our stories, to a great degree, are unique. They are not isolated. The devil will use the lie, nobody would understand what you've been through. And keep you in that prison. Jesus died for you to be free. He rose from the dead for you to live in that freedom and for his life to live in you. And what you do is by faith you take a step and you say, Father, thank you that I'm no longer condemned and Father, I forgive this person. I forgive that person. And name what they did and say, Father, you may not feel it. That's okay. Don't worry about the feelings. Feelings come later. Take a step of faith and say, I forgive. I forgive. That's the life of mercy. In you, Corey Tim Boone, in her book, Tramp for the Lord, says this. That she and her sister were in the Ravensbrook camp where her sister died. And one day after the, the war, she survives, her sister did not. She was approached in 1947 by a former Ravensbrook camp guard who had been known as one of the cruelest. She had been reluctant to forgive him. She prayed that she'd be able to, and she wrote this. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. In the same passage, she wrote that in her post-war experience with other victims of Nazi brutality, those who were able to forgive were best able to rebuild their lives. Those who were able to forgive were the ones who got out of the prison. You want to live in the life that is Christ? His life can forgive. If you'll just take a step, just a step. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. But you can be free. You can be free. That's your inheritance. And it's mine. And it is blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy.